Welcome to the Magnificent Life Podcast with your host, Sister Dr. Mongaza Michael Bondale. Join us now as we showcase lessons from Black achievement as example and instruction for how you can live greatly. So welcome again to the Magnificent Life Podcast with Sister Dr. Mongaza. I am again just delighted that you've taken the time to join us on this and every podcast, we are honored and excited to do a couple of things. One is to explore lessons of Black achievement, both the past and present lessons, as instruction for living greatly. And then to invite you to build your own self-development and self-actualization skills from those lessons. And so we're just delighted that on today's podcast, we get in part two of this conversation to focus on the influence of the Association for the Study of African-American Life and History through the lens and work of one of its most ardent representatives and supporters, Barbara Spencer Dunn. So welcome back, Barbara. Thank you. Happy to be here. Absolutely. So we were talking in our last podcast about the power of history in raising and fortifying young people, about the power that your book that was published that talks about how to actually inform our youth. That book title was Before and Beyond the Niagara Movement. You published this book, made it available through the portal of Kiamsha, a youth empowerment organization. In part one of, of our two-part podcast, you talked about Kiamsha and how you actually were able to incorporate the teachings of your book to the development of character and have that information disseminated widely. So tell us a little bit more about Kiamsha, if you would please to lead us into the discovery of the, I say the kernel and the seed of that work with youth, which is the Association for the Study of African-American Life and History, founded by none other than Dr. Carter G. Woodson. Well, that's a great place to lead to Asala for me, because as I was working with Kiamsha in 2000, a friend of mine learned that Asala, the Association for the Study of African-American Life and History, needed an administrative assistant. At the time, I wasn't looking for a full-time job because I had just started a public relations firm with two of my friends, mm-hmm. but I was still serving as the director of Kiamsha. And after I found out that this was the association, Carter G. Woodson founded in 1915, I went to the interview. And at the end of the interview, she asked me, how much do we need to pay you? And I said, whatever you can afford. (laughs) I knew I was going to serve this association (laughs) for the rest of my life. Although I knew about Carter G. Woodson, I did not connect the dots that there was an association. Oh, really? Yes. And what is so unique about that is... mm -hmm. I had a really thrilling aha moments there. This was two days in a row. One day I was walking past this bookshelf and there were journals of Negro history mm-hmm, mm-hmm. by the association that it, Dr. Mm-hmm. Woodson started in 1916. This is Those the association's books, journals. Uh-huh. Scholarly journals. Association's journals. Uh-huh. The premier journal by and about African-Americans in the whole world. Mm-hmm. And it still is that today after all of these years. Yeah. My dad used to have those books on his shelf. Oh, it looked familiar. (laughs) Yes. I said, wow. And then the next day I got a phone call and it was the pastor. My father had passed by then the pastor of the church. My dad had pastored for 36 years was calling to order the black history kit. 
That's the kit that the association has been putting out since 1926 when Negro History Week started. Mm-hmm. That He was calling to order it. And I asked him, how did he know about that kit? And then he said, I was just following what your dad has always done. He always ordered this kit. And I said, in that wow. moment, I realized that all of those neat art things, the pictures and things my mom used to share with me and my sisters when we would do art projects, mm-hmm. they were from that Black History Kids. Awesome. Never, Never knew that. So tell us, take us back now and tell us who is Dr. Carter G. Woodson and what is the Association for the Study of African American Life and History? Dr. Carter G. Woodson is considered the father of Black history. In, in 1915, He started this organization, the Association for the Study of Negro Life and History at the time, and it was changed in in the 60s to African-American Life and History. But Mm -hmm. this organization, and I want everybody to really understand this, is the organization that institutionalized the study of African-American history. This history has always existed. People have talked about it, but nobody actually stopped, sacrificed their whole life and put together an organization that this history would be documented, researched, preserved, disseminated from now until eternity. And Asali is going to last because it's been here 104 years. And any organization that's lasts 104 years, it's not just the people, but God has his hands on this organization. It's no doubt. Mm-hmm. That's why we've said several times on this podcast that self-study is the most important thing you can ever do. The history exists, even though it's not in the schools, don't let that be a deterrent to you about learning. So this is the organization that belongs to all of us. Absolutely. Go right ahead. And Dr. Woodson, when he started this organization, he said he wanted to promote racial harmony. Well, people say, well, how is talking about black history going to promote racial harmony? Dr. Woodson knew if people knew the truth about our history, they would not see us as inferior. And we would not see ourselves first and foremost. This is a social construct. This social construct that's been created here is to promote that inferior superior complex. And neither one of them are true. Now, now, Dr. Carter, Dr. Carter, tell us a bit about who he was in terms of we know he was the founder of Black History uh, Week initially, but he's a very learned man. My understanding is that he was the son of people who have been enslaved. Yeah. And and see, that's that's what you really want to go to. I was going to say, he's a learned man. Yes. He was the son of former. His parents had just 10 years before he was born been enslaved. That's right. And he was born in 1875. Slavery mm-hmm. ended, per se, in this country in 1865. And his parents, he came from parents who really didn't have a lot of education at all, but mm-hmm. they had the most important education. They didn't have mm-hmm. formal education. Mm-hmm. But what people have to really realize, when people talk about education, our ancestors, and I'm talking about my own as well, they were very intelligent. And we have to remember, they came from very intelligent people. When they were stolen and brought here, they were intelligent. And that's the piece that people miss. So Dr. Woodson had that character built in him. He had a spiritual grounding Mm -hmm. built in him. He actually sat down and talked to Civil War veterans when people didn't even know that 
our people fought in the Civil War. Mm. We literally freed ourselves by fighting in that Civil War. I give all the credit to them. When they joined that Union Army and won that war, it was our people that did that. So Dr. Woodson came from those small beginnings, but because he was wise enough, there was something in him that had been planted in him, like my childhood. You know, that's why I tell everybody, pay attention to what you learn, because it's a reason you're moving towards your purpose in life. Dr. Woodson found his purpose when he went finally went off to college. Go ahead. No, I was going to go into the college just to touch on the fact that that kernel that he, that intelligence that he was given, that was conveyed to him by his family, by his community. He then went on to other institutions like uh, University of Chicago and Harvard, where he earned his PhD. He was, yeah, and he was the second, right? Yes, he was the second to earn his PhD in history from Harvard University, W. Boy, second African-American, right. Second African-American to earn that distinction and then spent much of his career as dean of the College of Arts at Howard University. Yes, but would you you want to talk about his first college experience was with at Berea College. That's right. He Mm -hmm. went to Berea. It was integrated. His last year in college, the day law came that segregated it, but he was able to finish. But what we want to look at here, he was under a president of that college who really saw our people as inferior, but mm-hmm. he wanted to educate the Appalachian whites who were potentially, if not in fact, our social and academic equals. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so Dr. Woodson, even though he did not like the fact that this man was prejudiced against us as a people, he was still able to learn something from the president there because he took what he saw him do with the Appalachian whites. He wanted to do it for his own people. And and, and here we are in the mountains of Kentucky. Absolutely. Here we are. (laughs) From Berea, he went on to the University of Chicago for his master's. He did Mm -hmm. spend one semester, which a lot of people do not know, September 1897 to December 1897 at, at Lincoln University. Mm -hmm. Uh, He took one class there that he needed for finishing up his master's at Chicago, and then he went on to Harvard. We have to really talk about what that means. Harvard University graduating in 1912. This is a man who had carrot. I mean, you can imagine what he went through. It was the lowest point of race relations in this country. See, this is the part that a lot of people don't think about. A lot of people look at education in a different way, but Dr. Woodson understood that he needed to get that PhD to be recognized by some of the people and places he was going to interact with. And some people take away that formal education, even Mm -hmm. though he said he had to reprogram himself (laughs) Mm -hmm. when he got that education, he Mm -hmm. knew it was important to get that degree. And he went through a lot to get it. Such such a great example of how oftentimes the answer, the destination that we seek is not an either or proposition, but rather a both and proposition that we can take from whatever our circumstances, uh, from whatever environments we find ourselves or we choose to be and use that as a resource, that experience as a resource in propelling us into the vision that we have for our lives. Yes, and Dr. Woodson, while at Harvard, one of his professors, Edward Channing, said to him that he didn't only belittle the Negro's role in history, but he said that he argued that the Negro had no history. Now, we cannot say that that's the only reason Dr. Woodson started this organization, but I guarantee you it probably had something to do with it. You know, he had to, he knew he had to prove them wrong. There he was, he was with living history. 
men who had fought in the Civil War. I mean, he knew we had a history. His parents, Absolutely. you know, his uncles were school teachers who helped him learn a lot. He taught himself to read using the McGuffey Reader. Mm-hmm. But Dr. Woodson did a lot to prepare himself even to go to college because he didn't even start high school till he was almost 20 years old. Mm-hmm. And he worked in the coal mines. He was a hard worker. He did his most of his work from 1922 when he bought the Carter G. Woodson home on, at 1538 9th Street Northwest in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. Everyone who has not visited that home, you have to go visit it. It's already open for you to visit. From 1922 to 1950, all of this significant work that he did was done right out of that home. You know, Negro History Week was born there. Uh, The Black History Bulletin was born there. He had started the journal a few years later, but he started the Associated Publishers in 1921. So the publications all came right from there. And those publications not only opened the door for him to publish his books, but it opened the door for him to publish books by people whose works were not being published because people were not publishing the truth about our history. Mm -hmm. Dr. Woodson's work and the work of this association is so significant that nobody who goes through an educational institution should not learn about Carter G. Woodson Mm -hmm. and the association that he founded. That's why it's just so heartwarming and gratifying to know that not only have you associated your life with promoting the Association for the Study of African-American Life and History, but you're actually doing it through Kiamsha. Um, And if if you want to know more about Kiamsha, you got to listen to podcast number one on this series Uh, as an organization, a youth empowerment organization where we actually get this rooted down into our young people. Well, you know, I Mm -hmm. I want to say right there, because this is a good time to say that, Mm -hmm. in 2000, when when I was introduced to Asala, my first assignment for Asala was to actually transform Youth Day. The executive director told me that they wanted to do more with the Youth Day, and it just happened to be in Washington, D.C. in 2000 and 2001. Well, because I had been working with Kiamsha, and because Kiamsha, one of their goals every year is they train to put on a conference for their peers, Mm-hmm. at Bowie State University. So I told Asala, let's bring Kiamsha to actually conduct the youth day for Asala since they're right here in Washington, mm-hmm. D.C. We won't have to, tr- they won't have to travel. And that was the beginning of Kiamsha's partnership with Asala. For 18 straight years from 2000 to 2018, Kiamsha has traveled around the country with Asala and actually facilitated the Youth Day. And they've reached audience from from as many as 500 to 1,300 youth at one time. And you could hear a pin drop in the room. Being at this association also, it's what made me publish the book in this format. I took a deep dive into the themes because Asala actually is the one that establishes the Black History Month themes throughout the year. Since it was Negro History Week, Mm -hmm. they have had a theme every year. And this is a myth that we want to dispel today, too. A lot of people think that we were given February because it was the shortest month of the year. No. Dr. Woodson chose the month of February because he knew at the time in 1926 when he started that significant event, what was important was people to see things connected. And so he really chose the month of February because it was the week between Frederick Douglass and Abraham Lincoln's birthday, two men who had had a significant impact on us as African-Americans. He chose that week. But then, and this is what a lot of people you need to understand as well, 
Dr. Wilson had died in 1976, and it was this association that he left behind that continued his work that actually went to the president of the United States and got it expanded to the month. And what I want you to hear in this is Negro History Week is a movement. In 1976, when the association went to the president to expand it to a month, from that time on, presidents have actually done proclamations to acknowledge the theme for the year. But this is the part that I want everybody to hear. All of the heritage holidays that are celebrated today, they modeled after what Dr. Whitson did, but they actually went to Congress to legislate their holidays. Negro History Week, Black History Month is a movement. It didn't have to get legislated, but all the other heritage holidays, they started with the week and then they expanded to the month, just as Dr. Whitson had done. And that's very significant mm -hmm. for us to understand, again, the impact that Dr. Whitson has, even after the time of his death. So when I came to Asala and those themes that come every year, it was 2004, the theme was Brown versus Board of Education. And I remember the significance of that. I took a deep dive into the study of that theme because at that time I had to do all the research to give to Kiamsha so they could take that theme information put it in a format that would reach their peers and they would actually facilitate the youth day. Mm -hmm. So when I took that deep dive into the Brown versus Board of Education, the next year's theme was the Niagara Movement. I came up with the title of my book because the year before, it was Before Brown and Beyond Boundaries. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. that Niagara Movement was a centerpiece of our history. Mm -hmm. And I was learning really about the Niagara Movement for the first time. So my title, I had never given a title to my book. Mm -hmm. That's how I came up with the title, because of Asala's significant impact really on me and being in the midst now of all this information, I gave the title of that book because of that. Okay, now you've, you've mentioned the Niagara Movement, so you got to give us a snippet. Yeah, <laughs> you got to tell us what, what makes that significant, the Niagara Movement. And I think people will be surprised to hear that and to associate with it one of the most well-known and popular organizations that still exist today. But go right ahead. Yes. 1905 was when the Niagara Movement started. It was a group of people coming together. W.B. Du Bois and Monroe Trotter led that movement. And they were coming together really to fight how we were being treated in this country. And what was so powerful about the Niagara Movement, they were demanding their rights. Mm -hmm. You know, unlike times before people were, maybe you could do this. You know, it was a different kind of tenor. They were mm -hmm. demanding their rights. And if you look at the manifesto that they put together, it's the same rights that we're fighting for today. And they met for five straight years. Mm -hmm. And then the organization became the NAACP. And go. everybody knows the NAACP, but they don't know the beginnings of the movement, which was the Niagara movement five years before. I was very blessed to attend the 100th anniversary of the Niagara Movement when they met in this country in 2006. 2005, we went to Buffalo and, and Asala actually uh, brought the theme to life in Buffalo where the first meeting mm -hmm. happened. It, they had wow. to go across to Niagara Falls to meet mm -hmm. because they couldn't find a hotel in Buffalo. Mm -hmm. and so when you look at what those men were going through and what they went through, and men and women, because the next year when the NAACP started and in the Niagara Movement, there were women, Ida B. Wells, you know, there were women who were working with this movement as well. Mm -hmm. So the significance of the title of the book, that's why I said before and beyond the Niagara Movement, because the Niagara Movement really was a centerpiece to mm -hmm. all the movements that have happened before and since. 
And so I, I loved connecting the dots, having that as the centerpiece. But what I also wanted to say, what many do not know, in every movement, there have been historians that laid the foundation for the lawyers and judges to make their cases, like Brown versus Boyd, I want to use. It was a solid scholars. Remember, Dr. Woodson, when he was at Howard University, was the only PhD at that time. But the other scholars there were working on their PhDs. You know, Charles Wesley, Alan like the different people that were there. They became PhDs and they worked with Dr. Woodson at that home to institutionalize the study of this history. And when we talk about how history is the foundation that's been used to fight all of these significant movements, we had the special preview of the Woodson home in 2017. And I will never forget a statement that Judge Nathaniel Jones made when Joe Madison actually recorded the whole special preview mm -hmm. and showed it on the show the next day. Mm -hmm. Judge Jones said that in order to win the gains that we made in this country, we had to educate a bunch of lawyers, a bunch of judges to the role that discrimination and racism played in subjugating Black Americans to second-class status. And then we had to contend to argue that condition had to be remedied. And in order to justify the remedy, we had to rely upon the history to show that there was a history of denial. And therefore, it meant that we must pursue and shape and tailor a series of remedies that would correct that historical tragedy that was visited upon our Black people. That historical tragedy was slavery. You are pointing to uh, and tracking a quote that pointed to the vital importance of history to our everything. To bring it all back to the significance Absolutely. of Carter G. Woodson <laughs> and what he did. Because Absolutely. if it had not been for Dr. Woodson sacrificing his life, putting this association in place that I today, as somebody from that small town in Amarillo, Texas, could come and sacrifice my life to help keep this movement going, we all need to get on this bandwagon. This organization belongs to us. We are we all should support it because it has done so much for us and it continues to do that today. So how can people, how can our listeners support Asala? Well, the first thing I would ask everybody to do is to join Asala. You can go to www.asalh.org and purchase a membership. But every year in February, the third week in February, you usually, they have the Black History Month luncheon where they actually introduce the theme for the year. This year's Black History theme is Black Migrations, which goes so well with the 1619 event that's happening. You know, the forced migration and our migration from the South to the North and everywhere as we were moving, as things were changing in this country. And next year's theme is African-Americans and the vote. And that's very significant because it's the centennial of the 19th Amendment and the culmination of the women's suffrage movement. So I invite everybody to always purchase your ticket to attend that luncheon so you can hear the introduction of the theme for the year. And remember, the theme is introduced in the month, but you are not to only study for the month. You are to study the whole year of that theme and then come back the next February talking about what you've learned for that theme and ready to take on another theme. 
So I'm glad you're, you're clarifying this Black History quote-unquote month concept that the idea is really to create a focus for studying within that particular year that is actually adopted by and shared with school systems and other entities that take their lead from the topic, the theme that is set forth by Asala. Yeah. Is that accurate? And so, and so we then get a, a momentum, a shared momentum of focus where schools and associations, individuals, organizations can focus on the same general topic area within African-American history and be on one accord in that way. That's, That's exactly, exactly right. And so what, again, is the focus for this year and for the coming year? So the focus for this year is Black Migration as it ties to 1619, because it talk, we also talk about forced migration here from Africa, but also we talk about the migrations that took place from the South to the North, you know, after slavery ended. And also what we want to do too, is we're asking families, and it's on the website, on the Solace website, www.asalh.org. There is a family mentoring mission statement activity that really encourages families to do their family research, to interview people 70 and older in your family now while they're still here and can share the information and put that information in the hands of the young people. In fact, you want them at the table doing the interviews. Well, listen, one of the reasons that I am just delighted that you have been featured in this second podcast and the first podcast is so that we can not only simply tell a story or report on the value of a book or an organization known as Kiamsha or an association known as the Association for the Study of African-American Life and History. We're not only doing that as valuable as that would be. Barbara, you really do epitomize how these entities, these publications, associations come to life. You have actually poured water and brought sunshine to Asala. I say that you are an example of how people can not just know facts and dates about our history, but can convey the importance of that history to our youth in the context of character building. And so know that this podcast is not just information to inform the the listener about Asala, because we could not do that justice. There's so much that the association has done. There's so many publications. We'll have to save that fuller exploration of the association for another podcast. But what you have done and I leave my, my listeners to actually confirm this, is that you have set forth how we can each be carriers and benefactors of our history. Yes. Preparing our youth. Everywhere throughout this conversation, you have been pointing your works and your energy to the young people. There's no mystery. We are exactly where we find ourselves as a people. However you see that, whatever location you see, there's no mystery. We can track and trace each step that has been taken to bring us to where we are. And we can use this lesson of achievement from our past to track and place us where we choose to be, particularly when we stay focused on passing our history and our culture of integrity, of character onto our young people. 
So listeners, please hear that. That is part of the beauty and the joy and the offering that is set forth through this exchange, this conversation with Barbara Spencer Dunn. So tell us again now, we're speaking here to parents and grandparents. We're encouraging you to sign up yes, as, a, as a member of a solid. Go ahead. Yes, we're encouraging you to sign up as a member of a solid. We're encouraging you to support the Black History Month uh, luncheon that comes to D.C. every year. But even bigger than that, we're asking you to attend Asala's annual conference and meeting. They travel all over the country. And this year, uh, they're going to be in Charleston, South Carolina, uh, October 2nd through the 6th. And if you've never had that experience, that is an experience you want to put on your bucket list. Scholars, historians from all over the world come and bring their research and share it. And this year, I would really like to, I'm very excited. My family is going to be doing two panels. Uh, My family recently discovered the plantation where my family was enslaved on. Mm -hmm. It is the most complete antebellum history of any slave plantation in the state of Texas. It's called Monte Verde Plantation. And so we're in my, uh, some of my relatives are going to be coming here. The historian that has been looking at this history for over 25 years before she met any descendants published her book called Claiming Sunday. We'll have her there. The owners of the Monte Verde Plantation will be there. So we are really excited about that. And those are the kind of things you have the lay historians like myself but you have this trained historians all in one space because that's how Dr. Woodson set this organization up. He was very interested in just the regular man in the community, but he also knew we needed to be trained historians in order to compete, to compete in this society. And so we're very excited about the work of Asala. Get to know Asala, get to know Dr. Woodson, I mean, it'll change, it will change the way you see things. And those conferences, as you see, you know, like I, I've attended, I've presented in years past. And I tell you, it really is a, a reunion of sorts. If you have any interest in African-American history, if you have any desire to know and engage and find out not only information that others have interpreted as topics, but to understand the research process that gives forth those interpretations, it's just a gold mine of interaction. And I promise you, if you attend, when you attend, you will leave there more fortified and more able as a person of African descent, simply in knowing your place, not simply in this country's history, but in the world. And for young people, for young people, if I have a young person, if I'm an auntie, I'm an uncle, I'm listening to you, Barbara, what is it that I can do that can help fortify my young person? Do you have association work or organized way in which I can make sure my young person is getting the reflection historically of who they are in the best kind of way? Well, there are a couple of things. The first thing I'm going to really encourage everyone listening to go to Asala's website and conduct that family mission statement activity that Asala has on his website. That's the first way you can get your young person not only involved with the history of the United States, but they need to know their own personal history. It changes their life. Also, I would really consider telling any young person to consider being a docent at the Woodson home because you have to learn about Dr. Woodson. Then you can give tours at the home, share with other people who Dr. Woodson is and what that home represents because that home represents so much, not just for us, but for the world. And if a person wants to participate in Kiamsha, how does that happen? 
go to Kiamsha's website. You have to visit their website. It's www.kiamsha, that's K-I-A-M-S-H-A, youth.org, kiamshayouth.org. On that website, these character development principles and the things that come from this book, they have a lot of that right on their website to give you an idea of what Kiamsha is doing. But every September, the, about the third week, they start up a new program. And so you can go on that site if you're interested in enrolling one of your young people in that program. They have to be eighth through ninth, I mean, eighth through 12th graders. You can go to the contact form, put your information, and they will get back in touch with you to tell you exactly where it starts. They meet at Largo High School in Prince George's County, Maryland on Monday nights, seven to nine. So I would really encourage you to sign your young person up for Kiamsha. And is it all, is that the only location? It is. That's the only location okay. that they meet as a group, the core group. But okay. what they do is they go around and they go to different places, especially elementary and middle schools and do programs, high schools as well. They actually create that youth day concept that they created for Asala's conferences. Mm-hmm. They always come back home and do that in a couple of locations the, the following year. Okay. And if so, if you're living outside of the Washington, D.C., Maryland, Virginia area, those persons can get additional information about Kiamsha and activate some of its resources by going to the website. Yes. And I would really encourage anyone to ask Kiamsha to come to you. They have done that on many occasions. At the last conference we were in Indianapolis, a man from Kansas brought Kiamsha to Kansas and had them present what they presented in Indianapolis to the youth in Kansas. So I really encourage people to do that. Well, I'm so glad you said that because we do have someone, I declare, I assert in a place called Kansas or Kinshasa (laughs) that is listening to this podcast and is saying, oh my, I would love to have an organized, a structure, a system by which I am assured, or at least the, the, the possibility that my young person is going to uh, actually know themselves better historically. I'd like to install that in my church community, in my fraternity association, somewhere in a, in a systematic way. And so now that person can contact you guys, contact Kiamsha, and actually have you come and provide some of the experiences that would provide their youth community the gems of what you've generated. Yes, and by planting that seed too, a lot of times when they leave, the youth there will want to start an organization. What it takes though is some committed adults to help the youth get started. That's what is how we've planted these seeds in a lot of places. And a lot of times the, the youth are very excited. They want to get started, but the adults will not, you know, stick with them to get it moving. If you get some young person in your community gets the Kiamsha bug, you should get this curriculum and take the time to be committed to working with them. Because remember, it's youth led. So the youth get the information from the adults, from the curriculum, and then they go and take it to their own peers. Right, right. Know, Barbara, that this particular listening audience is hearing you. You have ears that have been praying for these words. You have parents and grandparents who are alive and very much motivated by the information that you provided. So I just think we need to give the folks at Kiamsha fair warning. I, I don't want the website to blow up or the, you know, the phone to be ringing off the, the hook. But I say the Magnificent Life audience is going to be in contact with you in ways that are unimaginable. 
And so as we wind down today's show, I want to just... Martha, let's say mm-hmm. this before we get it, because I yeah. definitely want to say this. Come on. What is very significant now, too, is the president of ASALA, Dr. Evelyn Brooks Higginbotham, is the chair of the history department, the first African-American and female to chair the history department where Dr. Woodson got his PhD at Harvard. See, yeah, that's talking lovely. about legacy. And I serve as the vice president for membership of Asala now, and I am really enjoying working with Dr. Higginbotham. And we, you know, we're doing things that are going to really help the community even further the legacy of this organization, especially like teacher training. And we're doing things to support the community and the school systems as we move forward with this work. No better work. Before we end, we always provide clear and specific action steps, action tasks, invitations to actually do, not just talk. It's a podcast for sure, but it's intended to be a launching pad for folks to actually activate the principles, the theories, the ideas that are discussed. And so to be clear, audience, we ask you to do a number of things to activate Asala in your life as a component for creating a magnificent life, specifically for treating the amnesia that we suffer with that aspect of our historic self that does not reflect our beauty, our power, and our genius. So number one thing to do, become a member. Go to the website, become a member, sign up. Use the resources that are available online. Uh, A number of them were were mentioned, uh, including inviting your young person or you to become a docent at the historic site, which was the former home of Dr. Woodson, the site of the uh, association in Washington, D.C. Number two, attend the upcoming conference again, October 2nd through the 6th in South Carolina in 2019. Uh, If you're hearing this podcast after that date, Again, you can reference the annual meeting for the current year at the website. And then finally, we have to always incorporate and remember our young people. So go to the website for Kiamsha and enroll, enfold, somehow gain from the experience and the direction that they offer and import that into your own communities big or small, family community, school community, or otherwise. Those are the action steps that we invite you to step into. And so finally, Barbara, anything else you'd like our audience to know before I ask you just two more questions? You know, I I wanted to share some thoughts about Mary McLeod Bethune, what she said about Dr. Woodson before he died. Is that a good time to do that now? It's a perfect time. Any time of the day is a good time to talk about Mary McLeod Bethune. (laughs) (laughs) Again, you're connecting personalities, relational history. Go right ahead. Yes, Mary McLeod Bethune was the first female president of Asala and the last uh, longest serving president of Asala. She served for seven years, but she was the president when Dr. Woodson died. And she wrote about Dr. Woodson uh, in the 1950 Black History Bulletin. And one of the things she said, she said, I shall always believe in Carter Woodson. He helped me to maintain faith in myself. He Mm -hmm. gave me renewed confidence in the capacity of my race for development and the capacity for my country for justice, for her own people and for all peoples. With the power of cumulative fact, he moved back the barriers and broadened our vision of the world and the world's vision of us. I love that statement. I love it with you. That's a quotable. I know these listeners are going to be playing back that portion of the podcast. I say, go ahead, transcribe it, frame it, have it on your wall. 
What about this conversation contributes to living a magnificent, indeed, Blacknificent life? Well, to me, the part of this conversation is just knowing who you are. Mm -hmm. That's what history does. When you know who you are through the knowledge of your history, it changes the way you interact with the world. And that's what I want to leave today. There is nothing more important than knowing the truth about yourself, your family, but even the history of your people. And that takes us all the way back to the beginning of civilization in Africa. And you're suggesting here that when you talk about knowing the history, because, you know, we've been fed some history now. We're talking about knowing the history we're, that we're actually about knowing the truth, uh-huh. the truth Come on. about mm-hmm. our history. Mm-hmm. Come <laughs> and on. that's something Dr. Woodson used all the time. The word truth, we have to put it in there. And the truth means all of it, not a little piece all of, of it. it. Finally, Barbara, what do you like most about being Black? I love everything about being black. What I love is that I was I grew up in this skin with parents who helped me to love myself. Love that you love yourself. <laughs> Cuz that allows you to show up as this expression of the greater good that is in you and expressed all around us. Yes. So thank you. Thank you for joining thank us you today. And I know that your work will continue and grow because that is who you are. You actively speak life and breath into the work. I look forward to the feedback that will be generated from this conversation and especially the feedback that affirms the value and the contribution that you are to this world. So thank you again for joining us. I look forward you're very, very welcome. To my listeners, I so appreciate you joining in uh, for another edition of the Blacknificent Life podcast. We've got so much more to, to come, and I'll look forward to being with you in our next iteration. Until then, make sure that you live, create, produce, facilitate your Blacknificent life. We'll talk again soon. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Blacknificent Life Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our email list at www.blacknificentlife.com. And whatever you do, be sure to consciously, consistently, and courageously craft your own Blacknificent Life. Until next time. Yeah.